Good day. Welcome. Welcome to the Trendy Place. This is the Trend Podcast with Justin A. Williams, and I am your host, Justin A. Williams. And I'm going to lead you on a journey today of economic, financial, and good discovery. Now, the things we say here, obviously, as a disclaimer, are not a part of any kind of uh, opinion from the greater company that I work for, which is New York Trend Media. This is a place of dialogue, no more, no less. We are here to only inspire and educate. That's it. So today I have a great guest, and that is Adrian Calaruso, a good, 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 good friend of mine, one of the best tenors I've ever heard and that you've never heard. If you think you haven't heard him, you have. That voice, that great voice you hear sometimes in the wind, that's him. And he's going to talk to us today about a couple of different things, dealing with wealth, how to make money, how to deal with money, what's it like being in the money game, whatever that means to him and to you, and also we're going to talk a little bit about culture. We're going to talk a little bit about what wealth kind of means in different cultures, particularly the African-American culture. We have a lot of African-American listeners. Uh, for our non-African-American listeners all around the world, we also want to let you know that it's good to learn about wealth from any people, right? I mean, everybody's been in the same situation over history. Every people have been poor, have been rich at some level. You want to get yourself into a situation where you are financially educated. So we're going to go into that. All right, Adrian, what's up, man? What's going on, Justin? Good to see you. Yeah, good to see you too, man. Uh, so, yeah, so let's get started with your journey, right? So, who are you, and why should we care about what you say? Like, wh- where are you from? Oh man, that is a that's a big question to kick it off. I appreciate the kind intro. Um, it's funny you mentioned that I'm a tenor, and that's how we know each other. We sang a cappella together in college, and you know, it's been quite a journey since we, we left uh, college together. Um, and you know, I've been in the, the finance industry since then. Uh, and I have kind of been in a place, you know, I'm from Princeton, New Jersey. You want to know who I am? You know, I'm the guy from Princeton. Uh, I like to say born, raised, educated, and employed. Sorry for those technical difficulties, folks, you know, it happens. We're human. At least we think we are. And, uh, we're going to get back into it. So go back into it, Adrian. Yeah. So, you know, you asked who I am and I said, I'm the guy from Princeton. Um, I like to say born, raised, educated and employed. Uh, I grew up in the area about 15 minutes from the university. My wife is from the same town. We went to the same high school and, you know, we, we grew up in this area and kind of stayed here. Uh, now I think there's, there's plenty of people around the country, around the world who don't move far from where they they were born and where they grew up. Um, and you know, I, I think that there's something to be said for for staying close to home. But what I love about this area in Princeton is that the world kind of comes to you. You know, me mm-hmm. and you both, we had the privilege of going to university there. And, mm-hmm. you know, we met we met singing together in the acapella group. Um, and that was that was a honestly a, a life changing experience for me. Well, I'm sure we'll right. talk about that a little bit. But um, yeah, I mean, that's that's me in a nutshell. Ever since I graduated, I've been in the finance industry. Uh, mm-hmm. I spent 10 years at uh, BlackRock mm-hmm. and uh, where my wife also worked. So we, it was, it was a little bit of a family business there. And we, mm-hmm. we had some other family members who, who joined us uh, working at the firm, um, got, you know, had, had a few friends recruited to work in the firm as well. So mm-hmm. um, BlackRock was a great experience just from, uh, you know, growing my network and, and growing friendships yeah. and it taught me mm-hmm. a lot of what I needed to know to roll into my next endeavor, which I'm doing now, which is uh I'm a, a wealth advisor, uh, Target Rock mm-hmm. Wealth Management, and uh, you know, helping people kind of point their wealth towards its highest purpose. That's what I like to say. 
quick disclaimer, you had your disclaimer, Justin, I'll have mine. Um, okay. you know, anything I say uh, doesn't necessarily reflect the opinion of my firm, Target Rock. And uh, you know we're having this conversation in June, 2022, lots going on in the world, circumstances are changing. So any opinions I express, you know, they, they are subject to change. <laughs> they, hopefully mm-hmm. they age well enough. Um, mm-hmm. Also, you know, we might talk about themes that are related to investment, investing, wealth management, uh, that might be construed as advice, as advice. But um, please don't don't construe anything that we discuss here as investment advice. Everyone's situation is unique, um, and you know, I'm happy to kind of engage and follow up with anyone who has any questions about their own unique circumstances. But just got to get those disclosures out of the way. And looking forward to talking to Justin A. Williams on the trend. Hey, I got a middle name. I got to use it. You know. <laughs> That's awesome. And I, you know, when, when I, when we met, uh, the first thing I realized is that you were a very, you had a lot of zeal for life. You know, you were just a very interesting person to, to talk to. And then the more we, we obviously got to know each other, we've, we've had some very, you know, heart to heart conversations. I'd say I probably had more heart to heart conversations with you than maybe anybody else I knew on that campus. So that was great for me. And I think because of that, you know, I can say that while sometimes finding uh, wealth advice can be daunting, right? I mean, you don't know if someone's trying to manipulate you. You don't know if someone's trying to sell you. Uh, Adrian's not that kind of guy. Adrian's the kind of guy who genuinely, I think, really enjoys making people money. <laughs> I think, I think, I think, genuinely, you're like the way superhero get, the superheroes get off on saving the day. I mean, that's 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 you, you know. So, um, where so where did you start um, in terms of work? Uh, you said BlackRock, right? But what was that like? I mean, I mean, what, what was the culture there? What, what are the what are some of your ambitions while you were there? And then also, just in general, I mean, you have your own thing now. So, so what, what was that like? That transition? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, you know, I spent ten years at BlackRock. It was my first job out of college, and you know, I kind of watched BlackRock grow up. You know, I was there from 2011 to 2021, and uh, in 2011, no one had really heard of BlackRock. Everyone's like, oh, like Blackstone, Blackwater. Oh, <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, a lot right. of confusion around like who BlackRock was, what do they do? It's like, oh no, like we're we're quietly kind of the world's largest asset management firm. Um, at that point, we had just acquired iShares from uh, Barclays. Mm-hmm. So um, iShares is a big ETF provider. So if, if you're invested in ETFs- And for our audience, what is an ETF? An ETF is an exchange traded fund. It's It's a way to get, you know, really easy access and low cost access to like the stock market and other uh, investment classes. So, you know, and that's kind of been the trend of the investment industry for the past 15 years. You like me working in the trend. So ETFs, <laughs> yes. ETFs were the trend, right? And BlackRock made made a very important strategic acquisition of the iShares brand of, of ETFs which, you know, they're just these investment products. You, you have your, your investment portfolio. I want to just buy uh, the stock market writ large. Um, you could buy that in an ETF for a really low cost. Um, so, you know, that business, uh, it's, it was very powerful, right? It was, you know, the, the firm was kind of on, this, uh, on, on the right trend. They made, they made a smart acquisition and, you know, we grew along with that. So 10 years later, 2021, you know, I had a really... Um, fun, interesting, um, you know, educational career, uh, with, you know, ups and downs, successes and failures. Um, I think more successes and failures, luckily. And that, that kind of put me in a good position to, you know, 
grow out of that uh, where I can kind of be independent. Um, my clients at BlackRock were financial advisors, wealth advisors, um, whatever terminology you want to use. And, you know, talking to dozens and then hundreds and communicating through my work with thousands of them, you know, kind of just decided around last year, middle of the pandemic, um, with the privilege of having a wife who, like I mentioned, also worked there and can kind of float the household while I could take an entrepreneurial risk and go out on my own. It's like, I could be one of those people that, you know, mm -hmm. I could go to the other side of the table. I really wanted to work with people more directly. Um, mm -hmm. I had a hunger to kind of help people directly. Mm -hmm. I had a lot of friends asking me for advice on how they should invest. And, you know, I gave it away for free for a while. And then, mm -hmm. you know, I was like, all right, time to start uh, charging for it and building a business around it. And, you know, trying to build a life for myself that I think is attainable and will be a desirable place to, to be. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the key. I mean, uh, you know, that's very interesting. I think, you know, I'm always interested in people's stories when they're trying to define themselves and, and, and find just a path, right? And I think, I think the problem with why some individuals and some, some people, right, I mean, different sects of individuals don't invest. They, they don't want to. They don't see the value in it. Uh, they haven't learned about it. And people kind of think that, oh, that's so simple to stop, right? Just, just, just start. But there's some cultural nah. aspects to this too, right? There's got to be – what did you feel about the cult not, – not the culture of BlackRock. I don't want to get you in trouble with them. But, <laughs> I mean, just the culture of just a wealth management world, you know, interacting with people from other companies and people that you know they're in the game – when you were maybe recruiting younger people, right? Like, do you think it's true that there's a mentality of selfishness, yeah. uh, individuality, and a total lack of, I mean, a almost a nihilistic lack of concern for the client? Because I think that well, scares people. So that's, that's a really great way of putting it, that like there's a perception out there that that's true. And look, I'll, I'll gas BlackRock up proudly, right? Like mm -hmm. I had a good time there. I think it's a great firm. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not, I, I don't think I, I mean, would get- it's probably, the best in the world. It's gotta be- a Well, good place I mean, the best in the world, that's very subjective, right? Like, look, yeah. it has its faults. Um, okay. And there's plenty of people who, who think poorly of, of BlackRock, but that's, again, I think the culture is what's important. And the culture of BlackRock, I think instilled a lot in me. Look, it's always been drilled into our heads. Clients first, clients first, client first. It's one of like the four principles there. Um, and it's certainly a principle that I take to my work now that I'm independent now, you know, and that, that comes all the way down from the CEO, like Larry Fink, he's caught in a lot of flack, but also mm -hmm. gotten a lot of praise, uh, for how, um, loud he is about, uh, you know, the sustainability of, of our industry, um, yeah. and, uh, you know, the art the investment industry in the, in the world in general, um, mm -hmm. ESG investing, environmental, social government, governance. Um, mm -hmm. This is a big theme in the investment world right now. Larry mm -hmm. Fink, I think, is is one of the biggest voices, if not the biggest voices, in uh, being a proponent that your investments need to do more than just make people money. Uh, mm -hmm. You need to have an eye towards you know companies that have that you know are represented on the stock market. They need to have a social license to operate. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's a message that you know I really took with me from BlackRock. Um, so what you're talking about, this perception, I think it's, it's might be, you know, the investment industry, the wealth management industry, you know, people are out to get you, um, you know, it's, you know, there's, there's operators who are happy to screw over the client for, to help their own bottom line. 
um, you know, sell you shoddy events, investments, uh, give you bad advice, whatever it may be that benefits yourself more than the client. That's that was certainly more the case back in the day and obviously still exists. You got to be wary for it. And I still mm. think it prevents people from trusting the system that makes people money. Look, at the end of the day, if you want your money to work for you and you want to be able to stop working for your money, you got to invest. Yeah. Yeah. Period. Like yeah. otherwise, if you just own, if you just take your money and stuff it under the mattress and you just own cash, that that money is not working for you. So by definition, you always have to work for your money mm. because it will be inflated away. That's just the nature of of the currency, right? Um, right. So you have to invest, and you know another thing: point your wealth towards its highest purpose that involves transporting your wealth safely to the future. No matter mm -hmm. what you do, there's risk. If you keep your money right. in, in under the mattress in cash. There's risk to that. If right. you put all your money in gold, there's risk to that. If you put all your money mm -hmm. in stocks, there's risk to that. So the key, you have to be diversified and you need to prepare yourself for multiple future states of the world. Yes. Now that's if you have you know, a, a, an amount of wealth now that you need to transport in the future. Most people are living hand to mouth. Most people are living paycheck to paycheck. Um, I just saw a Wall Street, art, Wall Street Journal article last week I think it was like half of, of millennials earning a quarter million dollars a year are living mm. paycheck to paycheck. Wow. You know, and, and that- to, How does that make you feel? What do you, how does that make you feel in terms of our generation? I mean, it's sad, right? And, right. And, but, and I think, and I don't know, I don't know what the answer is, whether people, those people need better discipline or mm. the deck is just stacked against them mm. or a little combination of both. Mm -hmm. Um, look, there's a lot of, you know, financial influencers out there who are going to, you know, rah, rah, take control, you know, live this ascetic lifestyle, like save, 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 invest, invest, invest. It's super easy. Anyone can do it. I, I think that's true to, a, you know, to some extent. Um, but also, you know, to your point, a lot of people, um, you know, they just go with the flow and inertia is a powerful force, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you, if you mm -hmm. kind of, if you don't prioritize uh, getting your finances right and getting your wealth right. And like I say wealth, I like this term wealth advisor. I like the concept of wealth because everybody has wealth. It doesn't mm -hmm. have to be financial wealth. Right. You wealth is more than money. Wealth is more than money. Certainly. And and it starts with your human capital, right? What like you're inborn with this inherent wealth of, you know, productivity and energy and and you know motivation to 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 work, to produce something for your fellow human that's a value that you can get paid for, right? And that's how you translate over time your human capital into financial capital, right? You go out, right. you do your work, and then your human capital that's ingrained in you, that's inborn in you, uh, it gets translated into money. And then you take that money and you decide what to do with it, right? You, you spend it or you save it. And then when right. you save it, you have to invest it. And, and the way you invest it depends on what are your goals? How far into the future does this money need to get? What future states of the world are you most scared of or worried about that you want to protect against the most? Mm -hmm. And what are the costs of protecting against those, right? Insurance, mm -hmm. for example, you know, you could take some of that money and buy insurance to kind of guarantee yourself a level of, of you know, of um, well-being or something. Or, you, you know, you could buy an annuity or something like that. You guarantee something. There's a cost to guaranteeing something, too. You're, you're mm -hmm. missing out on upside if you're willing to take on some uncertainty in those investments. You give you could potentially give up some upside. So mm. what does that mean? That means you need to work harder, you need to earn more, you need to save more, you need to consume less. 
because you prioritize security and surety of outcome more than you are willing to take on some risk and, you know, the potential higher returns that that might be. Right. So all of this, it's a, it's a whole, it's a system of, of thinking and acting mm. um, that, that takes you through time as a human being, mm. you know, from your, you know, from your inborn, you know, inherent human capital mm. that you, that you're born with up until mm. death where, you know, some people, want to die with not a penny to their name and use it all. Some people want to pass on to their heirs. Um, mm-hmm. But whatever your goal is, you got to, you got to navigate it intentionally because there's a lot of risks out there. There's a lot of, there's a lot of ways to mess it up. Mm. So how do you avoid that? Yeah. I, I like what you said about um, over time and, and, and that, you know, change is inevitable. And I think we don't maybe notice like there's no news outlet that's really covering the culture within each company of Wall Street, right? And, and covering individuals and saying it's safe now, right? Like whatever you heard about it, maybe in its, its heyday in the 80s, uh, where, you know, people are thinking greed is good. Um, you know, this is not reflective of all or even maybe most of people who work there uh, in the street, right? I mean, most people understand that you want to be smart. And the smart thing to do is be trustworthy, right? If you're not trustworthy, that's stupid because it's not going to work in the long run. You know, my father, and I I think I've talked to my viewers about this before, my father worked on Wall Street and what he he told me one day, he he was in the office and he had a rule, right? He just doesn't do anything illegal. No matter what, you buy the book, right? (laughs) And and you may think like, oh yeah, of course, but I'm telling you, the temptation that he Mm -hmm. dealt with on a daily basis to finagle this, launder that, do this. One time a guy walked into his office, dropped a bag of money, $100,000. And this is $100,000 back in like 1991. So, you know, it's carried a little more than it does today. Uh, Inflation, right? Absolutely. So um, this guy comes into his office and this is not a guy to to fuck with. My dad just knows. My my dad wasn't a guy to fuck with either. He's from Hollis, Queens. My dad was as tough as they come. My dad dad had been through the ringer growing up uh, in in his neighborhood and, and so forth. But even he was a little worried about this, right? I mean, this guy comes in, drops some bag of money and says, I need you to make this disappear somehow. Can you help me? I heard I heard you're like the best. And my dad looked at him and my dad was just like, I just, uh, uh. <laughs> he barely even said anything. It was like, how do I respond to this, right? So I think, yeah, no, you know, what he was always telling- might be real. And I, I look, you say Wall Street, there's a lot of different facets to it. I don't know exactly what your dad does, but like say he's in kind of a private wealth management game where he's just working with clients that are just trying to invest and make more money, right? Make me more money. You're my guy to make me money. Tell me where I can make money and do it. Right. Uh, the temptation is real because that's a good client, right? You know, and there's a lot of legitimate money that he might be managing. And then all of a sudden you now it's polluted. Yeah, that's right. that's a tough situation to be in. You know, it really um, it really tests your honor. Yeah, but I think where I was trying to get to is that um, you know perception is not always reality, and I think uh, my dad was a big proponent of even though there might be some some issues with the industry. Uh, there's got to there's, there's there's not a lot of equalizers in society, right? There's not a lot of things that really sit there that say you can really change your life. And I think a lot of people when they go into um, investing, let's say. Uh, in the African-American community. That's a historically uh, a community that has felt boxed out of Wall Street, sure. boxed out of the wealth conversation. Um, they, 
they I, I, I think corruption really scares some people more than others. And corruption is definitely going to scare people who have been historically marginalized. Right. Because what is marginalization besides corruption? And so for 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 that sense, like what would have <clears throat> I'm sure you've met <clears throat> clients that were like that, regardless of their color. How, how do you ease somebody's mind? Right. Like, how do you get them to really say from scratch? I trust yeah, you. I, I mean, you're talking there's a there's a lot in there. Right. So first of all. You have to you have to model what you're doing too, right? And in this business, you end up attracting people to be your clients that look like you, right? And you know, yeah. could be, you could say from like a racial cultural perspective, they'll look like you, but really, it's more about like mm-hmm. you know, values, uh, a little bit about life stage, right? Mm-hmm. Are you you know are you experiencing? Things? And it's a little bit how you live your life. Like, do I are you modeling um, wealth management on your own wealth? Uh, that that it looks desirable to emulate. Um, so I think that yeah, I've talked to a lot of people, and it's hard to con- it's hard to turn them into clients, even though I think I can mm-hmm. help. You know, there's there's one family who you know has a successful business, and you know save all their money in cash, and they know they have to invest, and they know that you know inflation's in the headlines all the time. They know they're losing money in 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 their cash to inflation. But, you know, it's right now at the same time where the market's going down, it's really tough to, to make the case that like, you know, there's not some like Wizard of Oz behind the, behind the scenes, like pulling all these strings and like rigging the casino against you. Look, like it's not a casino, right? It, like when you buy stocks, for example, and I'm not selling anybody right. stocks, like my business isn't right. to sell you stocks. My business is to give you advice right. that is going to most right. effectively and with the highest probability safely transport your wealth from the present to the future, mm-hmm. according to your goals. That's my business. I'm not selling you stocks. But at the end of the day, stocks are, you know, quote unquote, the best way to do that. Um, it's not the only way to do it. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying you should have all your money in stocks and even stocks. It's like, well, which stocks? How are you going to, how are you going to buy the stocks? You know, buy the ETF that just owns all the stocks. Are you going to do something a little different? Um, so people need to understand they got to get to the, fundamental root of mm-hmm. when I own something, what does that mean? What mm-hmm. does ownership mean? So I own a stock. What does that mean? It means that I own a share of a company's perpetual profits, right? And right. the value of that stock is mm-hmm. whatever the market is willing to pay right. for it. What's the market willing to pay for it? Whatever the person in the order book, you know, right. at the, mm-hmm. the different places, the different brokerage firms, Fidelity, Schwab, you know, interactive mm-hmm. brokers, wherever else, you know, New York Stock Exchange, NASDAQ, wherever else stocks get traded, wherever they change hands, what are the prices that those are going for? And that's the price that's listed. And, and when it goes into your account, you know that you have something worth about that much today. And it's going to go up and down because people are trading these things all the time because they're very liquid, which is a good feature of stocks, right? You can get in and out of them. You can buy them easily. You can sell them easily. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you own a stock, mm-hmm. you're owning a piece of a business and that business is out there in the real world, mm-hmm. doing real things, providing value to people and making a profit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're, they're putting together a good, or they're putting together a service for X amount of dollars and they're selling it for X plus two and they're taking home $2. Now, look, if okay. you're the consumer buying it at X plus two, don't you also want to be the investor that put it together at X and then makes that $2 profit? 
forever. So that's part of like, you know, it goes into inflation. Like your money is being losing to inflation. Like why, why are stocks a long-term inflation hedge? Because at the end of the day, inflation is just a monetary phenomenon. It's just when you have a dollar in your account, what can you go out and buy with it? Well, it depends on the real world and real businesses and real people. What are they out there producing for everybody? You know, so, so if I own the companies that are producing it, well, then, you know, that's how you can be on both sides of the ledger and that's how you're protected. Mm. That's how ownership protects you. Now you talk about right. African-American community, um, disenfranchisement, uh, you know, exclusion um, from, you know, let, let's talk about like housing, for example. Right. I mean, there's a lot, you know, more than I do about this and I'm not black, but, you know, thanks to you, uh, thanks to my experience in college, I, I have a few friends who are, and, you know, and, and it's taught me a lot, um, about the world and about justice and, but Hey, housing, huge exclusion in, in housing for black Americans, you know, redlining, um, you know, yeah. fake rent to own schemes that, you know, got, got people squeezed out. They thought they were buying something that thought they thought it was safe. And then they, you know, you put a, a bunch of money into a house and, and then it gets taken away from you for spurious reasons. You're right. And like housing is, is the biggest asset for most Americans. Um, and we're seeing now what's happened in just the last year, what's happened. You look at the case Schiller index, which is an index of housing prices across the U S it's up 21% year mm. over the last mm. year, 21%. So there's a lot of folks mm. that we know, Justin, don't, you know, millennials haven't bought their house yet. Mm. You know, uh, I'm fortunate that yeah. I had, sure. but like, that's not because I was smart. That's just because, you know, I, I, I advanced in, in my yeah. kind of life stage quickly and was like, all right, I'm got married, settle down, have a house, have kids. It was 2016 you know, lucky me. Right. But like, there's plenty of other of our peers who now they're getting left out of that market because, you know, prices are up and then mortgage are mortgage rates are up over two percentage points at the same time that housing, that the prices are up. Mm -hmm. uh, and then all your other bills are more expensive too. You know, so those that owned already, they're the ones sitting prettier than the ones who are left behind. So that mm -hmm. gets me to another principle of wealth management, right? I've said like, you want to, if you have wealth, I want to help you point it to your to its highest purpose, right? Point your wealth towards its highest purpose. Mm. Like, what is that purpose for your wealth? You know, for some people, it's putting it into a home where they can raise a family and put set down roots and like feel a sense of security, right? Um, for mm. others, it might be making an impact mm. with their investments, right? Doing doing things like investing in companies or projects that are good for the world. Um, but really, you know, it's also like I said about safely transporting your wealth from the present to the future, and one of those risks. You know, there's kind of two mm. main risks. One is that like you just make dumb investments and you lose your money, right? You put your money into stuff that like doesn't pan out. It doesn't work. You know, you buy a stock, the company goes bankrupt. You know, you invest in a project, it gets, you know, uh, torn down mm. by an earthquake, right? Like whatever, you put your stuff in stuff that doesn't last, losses of capital. The second is inflation, right? You, you put your stuff into something like cash, like maybe low yielding government bonds, mm -hmm that don't keep up with inflation and then your purchasing powers wrote away. So here's the other tenant. It's you got to own the assets that produce the goods and services that you will want to consume for a lifetime. So you, you're always going to have to consume housing. So if you're, if you don't own a home, you're effectively short the housing market, right? What does it mean to be short something? Mm. It means that like you're actually selling it 
you know, and that's basically what you're doing. You you need to consume housing. If you don't own it, you're renting. If you're renting, you're you're then the income for the owner, right? So the owner of that property is long the asset. You're short the asset, paying the income on it. Um. So you know, if you need to consume housing for the rest of your life, if you don't own it or you don't own other financial assets that uh, track the price of housing right? Correlate to it, allow you to participate when prices go up. So you're always hedged against, all right, my housing's going up. Well, my, if I don't own housing, well, my, my investment account better be going up because my rent's going to be going up, mm, right? Mm. Or my human capital has got to be going up. I got to keep reinvesting myself. I got to keep earning more money. And mm-hmm. then you're on a treadmill, right? Then mm-hmm. you're not, then yeah. you're on a treadmill that's hard to get off. Like the flash. Yeah. If you're, if you're, if you're a DC fan, you know, the flash has the, uh, uh, the cosmic treadmill. It's always mm-hmm. on that. And you don't want to be on that because that's forever. Um, that's, a, that's a really good analogy. I, yeah, like I, I mean, I, I really feel what you're saying, man. And I hope that when, whenever you, you do do this, and I hope in the past when you've been in the office, you've really felt empowered because you're one of the good guys. And, and, and I would say that because this understanding that you're getting from Adrian today is not just, you're not just going to get this from, from anyone. I mean, this is real expertise. I mean, I'm listening, hearing this and I've studied economics too. We went to the same college. We know the same professors. He knows. I know my stuff too. And I wouldn't be saying this if I didn't. And I, I really feel like um, really almost proud of you in the sense that you would you would say this to us because I don't think every advisor is really always looking at different angles, right? I mean, to know about the housing market and all this stuff. I was just looking at, at um, what's happening in Brooklyn. I was watching a clip of The Daily Show and they were talking about how inflation has hit Brooklyn in the past couple of years and how what they call gentrification is happening. And it's gone from, you know, 1960s, very affordable for black families. A lot of black, it, it was basically a thriving black middle-class neighborhood, right? Brooklyn for the most part. Um, and now it's turned into a very el- elite wealthy private school mostly caucasian place and you know those demographic changes happen but i think you know do you think decentralization of the industry has anything to do with this do you think that there's 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 just not enough of an infrastructure for people to really gravitate towards the right things i mean do you think there's any culpability to wealth managers for what is going on with uh our current state in terms of, of, of financial trouble. Yeah. Look, man, there's, there's no secret. The data bear it out very convincingly. Like the wealthy are getting wealthier. Yes. And you know, you, you mentioned race in those comments around Brooklyn. We've all seen it. Anyone who spent time in the city, uh, the wealthy are getting wealthier and the wealthy have been white people for the history of this country. Um, so, you know, this, this is, this is the problem, right? Because if those black families, you said it was a thriving middle-class black neighborhood in the sixties or, or, you know, a generation ago, did they own the properties? Um, right. Right. Or, or were most of them renting? I don't know. I, I don't, I'm not looking at the data, but I wonder. And it looks like there was, it looks like there was, I mean, it was ownership for the most part. Yeah. All right. So, and, and again, I don't want to, I don't want to victim blame here, but like my thesis mm-hmm. would be, my hypothesis would be like, the ownership rates in those neighborhoods among black families was not as high as it should be or could have been. And part of that is like systematic exclusion from the ownership class, right? From the, from the process and the, and the, you know, access to financing that it takes to, to achieve ownership um, at that time is right. Cause it's, it's all about, you know, if those people had a lens of, Hey, we're always going to need housing. 
And this is, this is why like my clients and the people I'm talking to who I'm trying to convince to be clients uh, again, now I'm kind of mixing, mixing the story a little bit here, but it, cause I'm not victim blaming, but in the, in this case, in the case where you can have control, you got to get your wealth picture, right? You gotta, you gotta define your values and you gotta make some plans about what you want your future to look like. Otherwise you're just going to keep floating. You're going to keep floating yeah. through and the waves of society's volatility are going to keep crashing into you, right? Because you're not, you don't have a plan and your wealth, which is the extension of your power right around you. There's no defense mechanism. If, if it's not pointed in the right direction, if it's not surrounding you with, you know, the infrastructure that you need to transport your, your, yourself through the rest of your life. So, you know, those people, it's like, Who's going to shake you by the shoulders and say, hey, look, like you want to live here for the rest of the life? You you like living here? Well, you better buy some property here. You have, yeah. And again, like black community in Brooklyn in the 60s, hard to do, unfairly hard to do, criminally hard to do, really. Um, right. But today, what I mean, and, and again, not directed at the black community in Brooklyn, but but anyone like what's what's your reason what's your what are you waiting for what's your excuse and mm-hmm. um you know right now it's it's legitimate economics because right. things have changed in the last year very significantly and it moved away from people who didn't have didn't right. have their house in order right yeah it seems like there's like a debate now that's going on in like the ecosphere or the zeitgeist about different kinds of barriers to entry uh like we i mean in the equity conversation i think is like, you know, some people feel like there's institutional things that are stopping uh, progress in terms of the wealth area. Uh, these can be schools, it can be college, this could be, even, I guess it could even be housing, really. I mean, if you think about it, right, like redlining. Um, and then people think there's like very visible barriers to entry. It's like for my father going on Wall Street and then he goes to the bathroom and someone calls him a coon. Mm-hmm. And, my, and my dad looked whiter than you do, right? Oh, it's you. like they found out that he was African-American and he doesn't even, he passes and they still could not handle it, right? So what I hope for the future of your industry is that we have more times like this, right? That you're willing to come on my podcast and really be transparent about a, a wide array of issues. And I think transparency is the key because, look, I was talking to, I was talking to my mom the other day. She was, she was saying something very controversial. She said, I understand why white people didn't want segregation to end. And I said, as a black woman, like, how does that make you feel to understand that? Like, what do you mean? Do you forgive them? And she said, well, if you think about it, people are tribal. She's a psychologist. She has a doctorate from Columbia. People are scared. They're in a wilderness. They're making a social contract that they maybe don't want to make, right? John Locke. And they form tribes. And these tribes... That what, what's a tribal value, right? When you form our team, you've played football. Adrian was a all-star uh, sprint football player. When you form these teams, right, what do they say? We're one. We're together. Us against the world. Nobody can beat us, right? But that yeah, mentality... Yeah, your, all- your skin could be your uniform in that case, right? Right. And, and in some ways, you form that. And that's, that might be virtuous, right? Togetherness, all that camaraderie. But when you think of negative integration, opposing other people now... You have to justify that. And a lot of motivation for doing that is they're coming to take what we have. Right? Mm-hmm. They're coming for our houses, our picket fences, and this. Because that's the best way to rally people together. And yeah. 
you know, I think how do we get past that? I mean, that has to exist in the financial world, right? Yeah. For so here's here's what here's a lens to think of it through. People see the world. All right. So you know, this is like behavioral finance, right? A little bit of like behavioral psychology, right? There's 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 cognitive cognitive biases that we have as humans, right? Right. Um, one of them is you know we fail to think exponentially, and instead we think linearly, right? Mm. Uh, the other is we think that the world is a zero sum game, that wealth is a zero sum game, zero sum. Like I win, you lose. Anything that mm. I have has to be taken from somebody else. They, they talk about that like that legitimately all the time. It, so so that if that and look in times of scarcity, it feels like that, right? So, you know, when, when society gets, um, stressed, like, you know, like we're in now, right. And, and things are, you know, if you're watching the markets and, and even if you're not, and you're just kind of out in the world, living it and living the struggle right now, like things are pretty bad right now, you know, mm-hmm. and, 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 and it's been worse. Certainly you look back in, in human history and, and things, you know, like things have been worse. Certainly there's an argument to be made that, you know, now's one of the best times to be alive. And I, look, I'm an optimist and I'm, I'm, I'm a positive person, I, you know, hopefully not to a fault, but like, and obviously colored by my relative privilege, but it, it, the world is not a zero sum game. Wealth is not a zero sum game. The economy is not a zero sum game. It is quite the opposite, mm-hmm. right? One per, here's another, here, here's a truism that, that, that actually I do believe in. And it's that, you know, one person's spending is another person's income, right? Mm. So that's how the economy works. And that's why, you know, during recessions, you know, when, when money stops moving and you need the government to step in and encourage money to keep moving, and there's a lot of mechanisms for that. You might hear about the Fed, you might hear about, you know, different government policies that are being enacted, trying to, you know, get money moving again, because one person's spending is another person's income. Mm -hmm. And the benefit of consuming something is not measured really in a, in a, explicit way right so if me Mm -hmm. and you trade something right there has to be scope for trade like you need to you need to provide me something that i value more than it costs for you to make it Mm. right and the Mm -hmm. price that we exchange it for has to be Mm. somewhere in between how much i value it which you Mm. won't really see right Mm. you make something you're able to make it for eight dollars and you price it at ten dollars i could value that at twelve dollars or i could value it at twenty dollars and whatever it is, 12 or 20, that's real wealth that gets created. So Justin's work, Justin's effort to make this thing for $8 and then sell it for 10 and he gets $2, you know, for his effort, right? That's, that's pretty great for him. But the person that he, he trades with gets their own $2 in benefit that like, you know, it's just a, you, it's not measured, right? I just paid the price. So you don't know how much I really would have paid for it, right? That's called consumer surplus. You remember that's econ 101, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, that that trade of, of, of goods and services is growth. That's well-being, that's wealth. So we all participate in this. And you mentioned decentralization, which I think is a really important theme. Look, like, you know, we, me and you have talked a lot about like cryptocurrency. You've had a lot of guests mm-hmm. on this podcast that talk about cryptocurrency. There's mm-hmm. obviously a lot of news. Uh, look, decentralization is a theme in the world right now, right? And, and COVID really accelerated it. Uh, I think crypto is one manifestation of it. Um, but COVID, you know, 
we're retreating from globalization, right? Globalization created a lot of wealth in the world. It lifted hundreds of millions of people across the world out of poverty. Um, there were some losers from it, right? And and we saw a lot of the effects of losers of cult of of globalization from the 2016 election, right? Mm-hmm. You know, disaffected, yeah. uh, you know, middle-aged, blue-collar workers, white, non-college educated, middle of the country. And it is true, globalism has hurt them. It has hurt them. And 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 but that doesn't mean that, you know, net net, when you take all of humanity's well-being into account, mm-hmm. it still could have been a very powerfully wealth building phenomenon that's gone on, you know, and a lot sure. of things contributed to to globalization over the you know last century. But you know, now we're seeing for the first time in a generation the retreat from that, right? Mm-hmm. And at the same time, we're seeing this advent of crypto, which mm-hmm. um, you know, is kind of born out of a distrust. Like you read the white yes. people Bitcoin, like the whole point is that like you want to have a trustless store of value and medium of exchange, right? Mm-hmm. You want to have code execute a transaction on a network that can't be hacked and doesn't have any institutional powers manipulating it. Now, that's really powerful and it sounds great. And, you know, I, I think it, it, it is great in a lot of ways, but like we got we to gotta dose that right in society, right? We can't, if we go too far in that direction and decentralize and lose trust in each other, you know, we're going to not be as wealthy. End of story. Like we need each other to get through a lot of challenges that humanity is going to face. We need our ingenuity. We need trust in each other. We need cooperation. You know, climate change, social unrest, wealth inequality. Um, you know, racial divides. Um, you know, geopolitical tensions, uh, water, like all these things that create tension. Like we need each other to, to fix. Um, you know, but decentralization's also also led me to where I am, right? I'm leaving the largest asset manager to be the smallest possible shop I possibly can. It's just me and my one partner. You know, I, I left mm-hmm. a sixteen thousand dollar a sixteen thousand person firm or whatever it is now to to join a two person firm. Uh, mm-hmm. And you know, but like, so there's power in that too, right? I'm I'm not yeah, against decentralization, but we just got to do yeah. it right, you know. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's nothing like going back to back with somebody. You know, you have a, a partner in the game, and you you want to explore. I think a yeah, lot of and what I've seen. One the- more word on that. Sorry, like the, the mm-hmm. what I like about it too is like the what's good about decentralization now is that like technology like it has made this possible, right? Like I right. I'm able to be a you know essentially a one man shop or a two man shop with my partner because we have institutions around us that help us operate our business right and we have mm-hmm. technology that makes our efforts like more scalable and repeatable for a you know a larger base of clients um so like that's a good thing right mm-hmm. right sorry so this is really piquing my interest this whole thing about decentralization a little bit more right like when we talk about systems decentralizing do you think there's do you think there's enough goodwill to make this equitable or do you think it's just going to be another thing that just gets co-opted centralized not even centralized just co-opted and then um it'll seem like it's creating equity but really in reality it's only benefiting a few people that's funny i mean (laughs) To to some extent, I think you're kind of describing Bitcoin a little bit, or you know, or or crypto, right? I mean, like, so let's take let's take Bitcoin as like an example. Um, and I'm not anti Bitcoin. I think it's I think it's a really interesting, um, you know, 
it, it's a really interesting asset that has staying power. And despite, you know, the current volatility and the current drawdown, like, I, I, I think it's here to stay and I think it's going to be a powerful force. Um, and, you know, and then other, other cryptocurrency, Ethereum and, and blockchain technology more generally, right? Like that's, that's, I think here to stay. Um, and I think that that's the kind of uh, manifestation du jour of this concept of decentralization. Uh, but I mean, a lot of what crypto is, is just a reinventing of the traditional finance system, you know, just in a new way. And you're, <laughs> this, this community is rediscovering all of the old things that traditional finance tripped over a century ago, you know, decades ago, whatever it is. And, you know, it, take, for example, um, like uh, collateral, uh, collateralized lending, right? Leverage, you know? kind of taking down taking down crypto a lot right now the whole thing with with uh luna and and terra right um you know like that's that's something that you know traditional finance you know has, has dealt with in the past uh and, you know kind of going all the way back to like dutch tulips in the 1600s right uh, you know, where a single tulip bulb would consider this like medium of exchange and store of value that like one tulip bulb could buy a whole house like you know and I'm, not, I'm not making that comparison necessarily but I, I am saying that, like, okay, th this could just create, if, if, like, the Bitcoin evangelists and the Bitcoin purists, if their view of the world kind of comes, through, comes to fruition, exactly as they imagine, obviously I'm painting a broad brush here, but, like, you know, imagine what I'm talking about, who I'm talking about, what worldview I'm talking about. There's just going to be a crypto elite, just like there's a Wall Street elite, right? And, and how is it, what's that going to be like? Who are those people going to be? Like what, like, you know, right. it, and it's, is it random? Is it random? Like the quality of those people who are going to end up being, it's not random, right? Like people who bought, uh, you know, Bitcoin early, for example, and became multi, multi millionaires um, over a few years because they bought something for a dollar and it became worth $5,000 or, or $50,000 as it were, right? Who are those people? Are they better than like the, the, equity owners of you know the elon musks and jeff bezos is of the world i don't know and like, who has power right now does, does does the president of the united states have power do they have more or less power than the ceo of blackrock or the ceo of you know the space company right like i think it's kind of hard to say and and it's different if it, it's different types of power and they all have different motivations yeah. Um, but I mean, look, like, clearly, um, society is in need of some kind of redirection and reorganization. Um, and I think that pessimists and optimists alike can find something about what's going on that can make them feel right about the current trajectory. Um, you know, and, and, but look, like as a, as a human being who's just trying to maximize their own happiness, like you gotta, you gotta focus on what you can control. You gotta focus on the here and now, uh, to the extent that it doesn't mess up your bag in the future. You're gonna, you gotta have an eye towards the future and you gotta learn from the past and not repeat your mistakes. Um, but it, look, I mean, and that's decentralization right now. I'm saying like, wait, like you gotta be responsible for yourself, right? Cause no one's going to be responsible for you. Like you are going to be. And, but but on the other hand, and at the same time, you, you know, it takes a village to raise your family. It takes a village to raise a kid. We need each other. You need to find the right people to trust. You need to find the right people to engage with and to trade with, whether it's ideas or goods and services or your time. Um, 
and and that's what it, that's wealth man that's just that's wealth it's your your wealth is is in your lived experience as a person mm-hmm. and you 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 know you need to you need to identify where your wealth is in all its different forms and gather it up and put it somewhere intentional yeah yeah that's very interesting about the point that you made when you said um you know you're going to create new elites right i mean look at what power does to people Look at what influence does to people historically. It's the same reason why people say societies are broken and they don't work. Right? Capitalism is broken. Socialism is broken. Communism is broken. Right? Uh, you know, it's, 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 we're at a point now where we're starting to really contemplate, I think, as a people, as a, as a humanity, um, wh- what we've done and where we are and where we're going. And I think this is a pivotal point where we can really make some changes and say, you know, um, Maybe we can have a society where you, not everybody has to be rich, but you have pretty much a very sprawling middle class and then some outliers, right? Maybe that's what's best. How do we get there? Well, maybe some people aren't co-signing that. Maybe some people who have very much amount of power, right? Because you got to think like, yes, I consult myself. I'm not a financial advisor, but I do consult people with what plays I make in terms of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, right? I like to talk to people about it. It's one of the things I do for a living, but I am not one of these zealots about anything and, and definitely not cryptocurrency because when I saw it emerge, I said to myself, this is an opportunity, but like all opportunities, you, you know, anybody can use it. So if you just throw something out there that has potentially be manipulated against itself, uh, you know, you got to put a little dubiousness about that. And I don't think that necessarily crypto is going to be the big world-changing equalizer that we say because you've got nations and you've got to negotiate with nations. And if nations don't want to accept cryptocurrency, then it's going to die. If it doesn't get adopted, it's going to die, right? And decentralization, I think the power in that, I don't know, I think it has bad spokespeople. I think we've got to get better people to talk about what true decentralization can be, not what you think in some abstract. I think that's, that's well put. Um... Yeah, I, I, I. You said, what did you say before? There's not a lot of equalizers out there, mm-hmm. right? You said that earlier, mm-hmm. and you know, one of them is is the internet, though, right? And, and it's like tired and trite of a topic that the internet is this great equalizer, and uh, but but it's still true, right? And I think the 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 decentralization of truth, um we've been in the throes of trying to make that work right so there's a lot so there's a lot to unpack with this concept too right so like 2016 election and then you know into 2020 election truth right who's telling the truth what what are what are facts alternate facts like remember all that like um that was really tough and that was you know you could blame you could blame uh you know facebook on that something right yeah you know, it's too easy to get ideas out there that bad, false ideas end up rounding out and creating so much noise that it's hard to find the truth, right? That's a problem. But on the other hand, like, you know, the assumption going up to that point in history was, oh, the internet's this great equalizer. I have humanity's knowledge at my fingertips. So, look, there's cognitive dissonance here. Like, you have to be able to hold both truths at the same time. Both are true, right? Mm-hmm. And and the fact of the matter is we don't have a world emperor 
so so there like there is some degree of decentralization in shaping how these things are going to play out and what's going to win um you know but again then 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 it just it, it comes back to you know yourself as an individual how do you educate in this education like how do you educate yourself to be a, a an effective filter for truth that you know leads to you having certain ideas and views of the world that leads you to have uh take certain actions that create a better life for yourself you know that's I think that's hard to do and the ways that we're doing it with the internet, you know, social media, you know, like Instagram, for example, I love, I love being on Instagram. I've learned a lot from it. I've, I've, I've been influenced by it. Right. <laughs> um, from the legions of influencers, anyone could pop up and be an influencer on, on Instagram, but there's, you know, there's a lot of good information. Um, but how do you filter it? Uh, so you need to pair like the decentralized kind of like, um, unaffiliated information with you know some of the institutionalized information and then just from some of the information from people you know and trust that are in your circle that have different viewpoints and expertise from you right so how do you kind of like take that triangle like learn from the institutions learn from the decentralized thought leaders mm. and then learn from your friends mm. and then you have to triangulate that triangulation yeah that's a good strategy i've never met anybody who didn't want to make money and I've never met anybody who wanted to lose money. And I think people don't understand that when you're not making money, technically you kind of are losing money, right? Because you're losing opportunity and inflation is a drain. Like you, uh, I mean, you say that all the time. You said it to me just in talking. Inflation is like a drain on your assets, right? On, on your profits, mm -hmm. things like that, the money you have. And I think, you know, we, we, we got we to gotta get more people like you, like speaking about this. I mean, I mean, why are you not on TV? I mean, you know what I mean? Like, we, why, why is it that I got to hear from these people consistently? I don't care where they work. I don't care how long they've done it. I don't care what they're wearing, how, their suits and all that stuff. I don't care if it's on CNBC, all that stuff. There's so much stuff out there that is just fugazi. You know what I mean? Like how, and, and, and I think it's this intimidation of, of experts. I think sometimes people, the, the, the way we, we show expertise on TV sometimes makes people feel like, well, I could never do that, right? To make someone understand and not be intimidated by what you want to teach, you have to teach them that they can do and teach just what you are. Like I am, so will you be, right? That's a true teacher. But we don't get that. We don't get that about, about wealth. We certainly don't get it in schools. Nobody's saying like, you know, they come on, they say all this jargon and they talk all these numbers and then they talk all these terms that nobody really understands. It's like they're just echo chambering themselves. It's frustrating. Yeah, and I think experts in in finance, like, look, a lot of the time they can be completely full of shit. Yeah, and you know, and and, and they can still be smart people and still have done a lot of work to reach a certain conclusion. But what you find when you when you look at the data of you know these market prognosticators who claim to know what they're doing and you know they're often proven wrong despite their best efforts of being right, and they're not malicious. They're not they're not trying to like convince people of something that they know to not be true so they could profit from it. That's not what those experts are doing. But I think it's like, you know, it's a, it's a lack of humility in a lot of cases that like, you don't know what the future is going to hold. Um, and, you know, the, the market, this thing called the market, however you want to define it, um, which is kind of a collection of everybody's views kind of amalgamated together in a price on some asset. Like that's actually a pretty smart, uh, way to collate human intelligence 
Right. So, so, you know, so then people talking heads can get on TV and like try to tell a story about what's going on in the markets right now or today or why, why is it up? Why is it down? They don't really know. They're just spinning a narrative. Right. 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 Um, and it's sometimes it's helpful and useful and constructive for sure. And sometimes it can help you kind of see, you skate to where the puck is going, kind of like, you know, ride the wave a little bit. Um, but you also just gotta have a healthy dose of humility and um, ability to let things go. Road to hell is paid with good intentions, as they say. Hmm. Right. So where, where are we going with this? Right. Like, what is the future? you think, um, not just for you and what you plan on doing with your, your own business, Target Rock. Um, where, where, where would you like to take us? I mean, what, what's, your, what's your big end game? I mean, do you, do you want to be up there with the big boys and, and really making that kind of globalistic kind of uh, impact, right? Or do you think really the guys who are going to steer the day and, and win this for, for the small guy or small girl, um, are people who are more decentralized, smaller, um, mom and pop boutique? Yeah, I think you mean in terms of like wealth management industry. Yeah, just, yeah, just you know, where do you see it going? Yeah, so I, I I see it going in a lot of potential ways, but like you know, and and it has to for me, you know, you, you said don't make it about me. Is that better? Yeah. Yeah, uh, don't make it about me. But like, I can only speak for myself. Like, what's my future? Um, you making about you? Did I say not making about you? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, like, we're not just you, I guess. Um, I mean, for me, like, I want to, I want to keep building my business around people who the idea of pointing their wealth towards a science purpose resonates. Um, people who have wealth that they need to safely transport for the future and don't know where to, don't know what to do exactly, don't know the best way to do that, um, and you know. That, that will be to me like I want to create a world of sustainable abundance and harmonious prosperity, right? Sustainable abundance and harmonious prosperity. I don't know how much I can make a dent in that goal, but I think that's something that we can all get behind. We want sustainable abundance and harmonious prosperity. So, I, what's my role in that? I'm going to shepherd a certain number of clients whose wealth into the future as best as I possibly can with the knowledge I have and, and the tools I have at my disposal. It's not going to be perfect. Um, I'm not going to know all the answers at all times. So I'm going to make mistakes. Um, but, you know, my, the, the, the strategy is that, you know, strategy that you work on with me is going to be better than what you can do on your own. So let's do it together. And, you know, I'm, I'm here for who shows up. Right. And whether that turns me, whether I, whether I stay small and, you know, with a small group of clients or I, I grow this into a larger firm uh, that, you know, works with, you know, hundreds or thousands of, of clients, that remains to be seen. And then, you know, what wealth do I want? I want time, right? I want time with my family. I got two young kids. And Amen. I, I, don't, I don't need much more than time with them. So, so how do I buy that time? Well, I got to find ways to add value to other people's lives profitably, right? Mm-hmm. I got to, I got to create two dollars worth of value and charge one dollar for it, and then make everybody better off, mm-hmm. and you know, take that wealth that I don't consume in the immediate term and then store it for the future, and then you know, and then one day have, you know, have have the, those assets um, to, to be able to you know, spend the time how I want to spend my time. And that's what anybody wants. Again, and everybody's just buying time at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, so, and, and, you know, the truism, like, if you love what you do, like life, like I'm open to that as well. You know, I love what I do. And, um, you know, if I can keep loving what I do, if I can keep designing my business around ways that make me happy and fulfilled and allow me to like be there for my clients on terms that are mutually beneficial for us both, which I think is very possible, then, you know, I'll be in a good place. Well, I think that's, 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 that's always going to be the goal, right? I mean, I know people who say, um, when, you know, it's not about the money, right? And then I know people who say, come on, it's all about the money, right? But I think it's about the money and it's about what money can afford you to have, right? So it's about, um, I don't know. I always kind of be like, I'm always kind of the person where I say like, I don't necessarily care about what your motivations are all the time. I care more about what your results are. And I think, you know, there's, there's just got to be a better way of measuring this. I think our measurement tools in our society are terrible. Right? Like, does welfare work? Does, does, does affirmative action work? Is, is, is this thing racist? Is this thing not racist? Is this sexist? Um, you know, everybody's in the court of public opinion, but everybody also has their own subjectiveness. And it's hard to know what the answers are going to be. It's hard to know what the solution is going to be for anything. And even someone in your field, it's hard to say, like, you know, in 20 years, I think it's going to be worse, it's going to be better. Are you even going to be able to to maneuver, right? I mean, so many things change. I think one thing I can say to, to you guys, my audience, um, uh, is just in my experience, you know, I was reticent to invest as well uh, as I got older. I think I've had a lot of trauma. I had Rakim Sabre, I think is how you pronounce his name, on talking about financial trauma. And I think it's I was a think. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a real thing. I think For um, sure. I think I think I have some. Yeah. I have some, you know. Yeah, and I think uh some people think, oh well, I'm already gonna lose money, so that's traumatic enough. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh and I think so do you do 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 you want would you would you say that when we talk about the wealth of let's say um, under under uh, marginalized communities, right? That's expanded to all marginalized communities. How difficult do you think that climb is? Uh, and, and from the lens of somebody who says, "Hi, I'm here to help," right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's 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 a hard climb. Um, so I'm on the board of a nonprofit. It's called Arm and Arm. They're based out of Trenton. I know Arm and Arm. You know Arm and Arm. Really? Yeah. So it's, it's like literally oh, 18 oh. minutes down the road from Princeton. Catholic Charities. All yeah so they you know they operate food pantries and you know it's it's all about for them it's um you know food security housing stability and job training i've been on the board for you know three years or so now um and you know it we like we see in that organization you know the, the most marginalized right mostly black and hispanic a bunch of you know undocumented residents of the city uh they just need food right and um, the pandemic was a very strange time for the organization, right? So just put some numbers around it. For example, I remember I used to volunteer there before the pandemic. And, you know, like if we had like 85 people show up for food, that was a big day. And like, you know, you'd see like as low as 40. It's like, oh, it's a quiet day. Like you got 40, 40 people came in. Now they're capping it at 200 families per visit or per day. Um, and that's like every, and then they're hitting that every day. It's like they're open, they're serving 200 families. So like, you know, it went from you know, like a thousand or 1500 families a month to like 4,000 families a month and climbing. Um, and 
you know, this was this was during a time where there was an eviction moratorium. So no one was getting evicted, but everybody was racking up bills with their with their landlords, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so then when the eviction moratorium was was lifted, um, you know, like there's a deluge, right, of, of folks who are in a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the average grant, and again, don't quote me on all these numbers, like, you know, you'd have to ask the executive director and look at the annual report. But like, you know, I'm just anecdotally, like, it'd be like a $500 grant. And now it's like, a $1,500, $2,000, dollars grant that the organization's given to people to, to get them out of their predicament. But then it just goes back to ownership, right? Like all we're doing at the end of the day is we're giving money to landlords. We're giving money to the owners of the assets that these people are trying to consume. And, you know, as a city, you know, Trenton has a lot of like dilapidated properties. They have a lot of abandoned properties. You could buy houses that are listed for like $85,000. So it's like, how do you get those people ownership? Um, you know, and it's hard because you need income, you need income to have ownership because you need to pay the debt service and debt is no joke. Right. Um, so I mean, but like, it's a virtuous cycle. If you could kickstart that flywheel and get these people ownership of one asset, real estate, for example, then we can work your way into, you know, income, you get your human capital, right. Enhance the human capital. And that needs to be education. Education is highly unjust, right. You know, it's very localized education. Trenton's 18 minutes down the road. Princeton has the best schools, you know. Right? Even, Hamilton, and, even Hamilton has great schools. Hamilton it's away. Hamilton has great schools. Yeah. And then so so and again, there's actually some nice there's some good schools in Trenton too, I will say. Like, you know, so but I mean education, but like the stress, right? And it's not even about like the quality of the school that's you know, is your mom working three jobs and like is single and has has multiple kids that she's trying to support? And like, you know, one thing goes wrong, the car breaks down and, and you're F, right? So, and then you're in the food pantry, right? Or you're, or you have an eviction notice. So, um, yeah, I mean, I see that and that, that work is so important to me, uh, you know, being on that board because it, it always, you know, it's not even like what I do with being on the board i'm not doing anything right mm-hmm. but it does give me perspective on the world and keeps it real for me uh it gives me gratitude so it's like um you know but so so you gotta have you get and it gives me perspective on i think it makes me better for my client right. and then you know i take my clients and I, oh well, what what are your charitable goals you know like what like is, how is how is because during the pandemic all of these needs were rising so fast but guess what? The donors were right there. Like, so this, the budget, uh, you know, this, the budget of this organization, you know, shot up by over 50%, you know, with new donors, right? And with existing donors that were able to give a lot more. So yeah, in a lot of places, the wealthy are getting wealthier, but they're also getting more generous, um, at least in, in, in that, that lens. So, you know, I think the nonprofit world, you know, you got governments, you got private enterprise and you got nonprofit world. I think the nonprofit world is going to be a bigger player in the next leg of society. I think that, so anyone listening, like if you have an idea about a nonprofit and this connects to wealth management too, because, you know, the government and the tax code wants people like you and me to support nonprofits. They offer a lot of tax benefits, a lot of ways that you can, you know, maneuver around with the wealth plan to, to to more powerfully give to charity. Um, and nonprofits are just like corporations in, you know, for-profit enterprises, 
They're, they're run by really smart, hardworking people who have great ideas. They're innovative, they're efficient, um, they're nimble, right? So like nonprofits, I mean, with the tax code, if the government keeps, keeps you know, uh, the tax code oriented towards getting people to siphon off their excess wealth into nonprofits as opposed to, you know, spending it themselves, right? Because that's what the government wants you to do. Like, they don't want to do all this stuff. They don't want to do all this stuff. And, and they're not good at it, right? And, you know, that's a, that's a broad brush statement too. But like, so there's plenty of people listening who agree with me. There's plenty of people who would disagree. And there's data you can point to at both sides. Like, the government's no good at helping people at the lowest rungs of society. They mess it up all the time. I don't necessarily believe that, but like, you should say that that's true. Well, the nonprofits are, are a good solution for that. And all the government has to do is write the tax code so people who have wealth, you know, say you have an appreciated stock. Say, you know, say that you're playing around in the stock market 10 years ago and you're like, oh, I'm going to buy some shares of Google and I'm going to buy some shares of Apple and I'm going to buy some shares of Tesla. And you buy it in your brokerage account and it's taxable money, right? So it's like not in a retirement account. You're like play money that you have on the brokerage, on the brokerage account. You bought these shares and, and now all of a sudden they're worth like, you know, you know, you bought them for a thousand and now they're worth, they're worth 10, right? Or you bought them for 10 and now they're worth, they're worth a hundred or 50, right? That gain is taxable, but you can give that chair, you can give that to charity, write off the amount that it's worth today from your income and income taxes are higher than capital gains taxes, right? So the capital gains taxes, you know, call it 20%, you know, be up or down 15, 23 and a half more if you have local taxes. Capital gains tax is lower, but it's still something. It's still significant. So people don't want to sell their appreciated stocks and then use it to just spend the money on themselves because then they got to pay tax. It's like, what am I, what am I paying taxes for? But you could take that $50,000 position that you might have a $40,000 gain on, right? You've got to pay taxes on 30000 you know, your 20% or whatever. Take the 50000 write it against your income. And then if you're a high income earner, your marginal income tax rate with state and local taxes all in, depending on where you live, could be 50%. And those rates are probably going to go higher, right? That's another way that the government eventually is going to bring down inflation is tax the money back, right? That's how you, that's how you get the money to be stronger, that you tax back, right? So people are going to want to write it off and earn that 50% income tax write off, right? By appreciating, by, by selling it rather than, you know, sell it and then pay the 20% on the gain. I don't know if you follow that. That's a little complicated. But the point is, at the end of the day, there are tax benefits to, de- to, to, de- to, to donating to charity um, that, you know, more people need to do, I think. And then more people, then there need to be people who, get the money to the right charity, right? So that's where you have to define the purpose for your wealth. What's, that, what's your wealth science purpose? What do, you, what, what do you want to solve? And what nonprofit, what 501c3 that can accept these securities, um, who are the best ones? What are they doing? Is it effective? So, yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll get off. <laughs> Don't need the charity. Important. <laughs> yes. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And now you've heard it, like, donating to charity is a way of building what you might call, maybe not, maybe some people don't call it wealth, but it's definitely value, right? It's definitely, it's definitely even besides just the moral special thing about it, it's, it's also a good financial tactic to have. And it's a good... Yeah, so wealth is power, right? Wealth is power, and I feel power in donating to charity, because especially when it's through a tax advantage, right? Because, like, now now if I've, if I've 
contributed, if I've avoided the taxes, obviously legally and um, legally and, and benevolently, right? You've, you've, you've avoided taxes benevolently. You're not that much worse off, right? Like that, the, the, the Bajitas were going to get taxed out of that anyway, right? And now you've saved money on taxes and now you have a war chest to deploy to charity. And that's power. And that's, you know, like that, that, that's, that's makes a better life, right? Giving. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Adrian, man, this has been a wild ride. This has been awesome talking to you, man. This, this, this past hour and stuff. Uh, I want to, I want to say, you know, we, 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 we definitely want to have a part two in the tank if you'd be interested, you know, because there's, there's so many places we can go with this, you know, for sure. Appreciate um, it, brother. Yeah, it was, it was a wonderful conversation. I, I enjoy your podcast. And look, I'm honored. Like the guests that you have on here are fantastic. Just kind of listening through some of them. Um, and the fact that you'll take me on is, uh, is really flattering. So, uh, happy, happy to do it. I'd have you on if you were my enemy. So you should, that's the highest compliment I could possibly give. <laughs> Even okay, if you were okay. my enemy. Um, that's how, that's how good you were. That's, that's, that's how informative you've been. Uh, all right. Appreciate so it. trenders, thank you so much for listening. Remember we post, uh, last two weeks of every month. You can find us anywhere podcasts are found on Spotify, Apple, share, like, subscribe, contact me to our friends in the Netherlands, Chile, Germany, and everywhere else. I don't speak your languages, but hello to you too. And remember, we're better when we trend together. Adrian, do you have a last word for our audience? No, man. Just thank you, anyone, for listening. And if I can be of service, anybody. Yes. Wanna, Tell them what they can find you. How can they find you? How can they contact you? Uh, I mean, you could go to targetrockwealth.com slash Adrian. Um, that, you know, that's, there's, you know, scheduling links in there if you want to have a conversation. Um, yeah, happy to, happy to have any follow-up conversations that might come out. Perfect. Check them out. All right, guys.